why you asking me? <laughs> I tell you a story, yeah. I tell you this now. Uh, we've got time. We've got a bit of time. I will tell you this story. Yeah, I'm gonna say right. it. they always cut it from every interview, and it, and this was in the same interview. This is okay. in the same interview. I tell you this story, yeah. All right, Rachel, yeah. Give me an old lady's name. Mabel. Mabel. All right, Mabel. Mabel's there chilling. Two thirty a.m. Mabel's chilling now. Boom. She hears a noise. She's like, "What the? F- what's that noise? What f- what's going on?" Mabel wakes up. Yo. Boom, sees the window open, puts the light on, all her has been taken. She's like, what the f***? My has been taken. Boom, she calls the police. Yo, I've been robbed. I lost my stuff. They said, I've been coming away. The police come, I'm like, these two police officers, one black, one white. They're like, yo, Mabel, what's happened? Mabel, what happened? Because I woke up 2.30 in the morning, my stuff got taken. Her stuff got taken, cool. All right, cool, we're going to take you to the police station. We're going to ask you more questions. Okay, cool, I just want my stuff back. She goes there, she's going to get her stuff to, um, to the police station. She's in the lobby waiting, goes, Mabel, there's been a lot of robberies tonight. We're going to put you to another space to wait. I'm going to speak to you. Cool. They put Mabel in a cell. He was like, that's a bit weird. I'm in a cell. That's a bit weird. I'm like, cool. Let me chill. This is that. And the other. Cool. Boom, 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 bam. Chilling, chilling in the cell there. Chilling, 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 chilling. Two, three hours go by. Boom. The thing they go, yo, Mabel, we're ready for you. They take Mabel into the interrogation room. They put the recorder on and they go, Mabel, tell us why you got robbed. Mm. Mabel has a decision in that situation. She can come to two conclusions. I see it, Rachel and Van. She comes to two conclusions. She's even going, you guys, you police officers, are very f***ed at your job or you don't want to solve the crime. You feel me? Because you're never going to ask a person that's the victim of the crime why the crime happened. You're going to go out there and figure out and find the person who did it. And when you find the person who did it, you're not going to ask them why, because robbers rob. That's what they do. So I'm sitting there in this interview impacted by racism, and they're asking me why it's happening. I came in this game in 89. I don't know. I don't know why. I'm educating myself and understanding I can articulate it. And when I articulate why, they're still asking me questions. They're still asking me questions. So I'm sitting there, I'm like, so now Mabel's going to be there, listen. You guys don't know what the f*** you're doing. I'm going to go out there, call my grandsons, and we're going to make it happen. I'm going to get my stuff back. I'm here to get my stuff. I'm not here to... Like, what's that? I'm here to get my sh- You feel what I'm trying to say? Yeah. So yeah. When you say I'm tired of talking... That, that's the conversations that are being had, but they're not, they're not highlighting their side of the conversation. They're putting you out there. And I'm sitting there, I'm like, yo, why are you asking me about this? You, you don't ask white people about this. And in the words of Public Enemies, Chuck D... Bring the noise. From the Fifth Film Podcast Network, I am Chai Taylor, and this is what's good. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Hope you've all had a good week in the circumstances. It's been, it's been, I'm not going to lie. It's been a good week. <laughs> I'm staring at a new laptop right now and it is bliss. It is, it's blissful, man. Like when you, there's, there's a, there's a feeling, right? You get when you upgrade a thing that you've had for so long. Right, it's it's a different feeling. It hits so different, like the the you feel excited to do shit on it. You know what I mean? Like it's it's different. It's different from like uh, uh, it's 
I think the closest feeling that a regular person could get in this case, from how I'm feeling right now, looking at this new laptop right now, is when somebody, I don't know, gets a new console, right? Game console, right? Because obviously the gaps in gaps for consoles are usually like, you know, six, seven years. And I've had my laptop for six, seven years, nearly eight, I think. Seven, eight years, maybe, give or take. And, you know, it, it got the job done, but it just didn't have the legs. It just didn't have the legs anymore. And it was depressing me. <laughs> it was literally depressing me. Every time, like, something just froze up for no fucking reason, I'm just like, bruh. I'm asking you to do... I'm not even on internet or anything like that. It's literally just a native program. Just just stop freezing on me. You know what I mean? Um, but yeah, now at this point in time, I am gassed. I am super happy just looking at this screen right now. Looking at these waves. Ah, oh, it feels good. It feels good. But anyway, apart from that, I can't complain. It's all good uh, in the hood. Uh, and yeah, just uh, keep on progressing. Hope you guys are in the same boat with me. Uh, yeah, so if you didn't hear that, uh, well, if you did, didn't hear, if you if you didn't understand the context of uh, that Daniel Kaluuya clip, uh, he was on a podcast with uh, Via the Ringer, I forget the name, and uh, yeah, he basically was talking about, um, you know, just racism in general, and why people ask black people, like, how to fix racism or something like that, you know, and, and it makes sense, like, the, the story he told, obviously, about Mabel, is literally how it is, it's just like, your shit's been stolen, and you're being interrogated as to why. It's like, no, that you should be pointing at your homies for that. You should be pointing at the white homies for that. And that's facts. That's really facts. Uh, he put it so fucking succinctly. I watched that last week, and I was like, you know what? Let me save that clip. I'm going to throw it on it. Uh, it's, it's just bangs. It just bangs. It's, 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 it's super clean. It's absolutely super clean. Um, but yeah, apart from that, uh, we have a decent show for you today. I say we, it's just me, but yeah, <laughs> whatever, we have a decent show. Uh, two music, sports, and a laugh. Um, I was going to talk about Jesus and, the Black, uh, Jesus, Judas and Black Messiah, but I haven't seen it yet, and I feel like I want to see it, because I have a lot of thoughts on just like, uh, well, go on Dinging in Digits this episode, uh, we talk about, I talked about the, I absolutely eviscerated the soundtrack, uh, soundtrack is bullshit. Uh, on on a just on a contextual level on the wide broadest of lenses and it just fucks me off. Um, so I kind of want to see the film just to, not, not not to say that obviously um the uh, film is bad. Um, the soundtrack and a film is much different. Um, obviously completely different entities. They just have the similar name. Um, but I do find it fascinating from the articles I've seen and from the 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 angle they're coming at is talking about you know a Hollywood film talking about you know, Fred Hampton and the Black Panthers, uh, you know, that kind of, that world, so to speak, and how completely, that's the complete antithesis to what Hollywood is. So I just wonder what the, uh, how, how they managed to like balance that out or if they didn't balance it at all. I don't know, but I want to see that at some point. But anyway, yeah, stack show. It's going to be clean. Hope you enjoy Um, that's it. Uh, for my before we begin, email to the IG, Discord link, all that, all that, all that. All the links to the articles will be in the full show notes. Give them a read as I read them, or even after I read them, just read for yourself. Um, and get into all the people that have written these wonderful works. And with that said, let the beat drop. Now let's get into the show.
in a week where Home Secretary Prissy Patel opens her mouth again on the 2020 BLM protest. Like, why why are you talking? Like, every time she talks, it's just it's just it's just spew. It's just, it's just toxic spew. That's all I that's all I hear. Just toxic spew. Like as soon as I see it, I'm just like, it's like back up nuclear nuclear uh, waste over here. Literally, and it's the same thing with all the government stuff. Honestly, it's like when they're talking about, uh, they're talking about obviously uh, uh, reopening stuff, because uh, obviously, uh, well, it'll, I'll get to the last bit, but you know, they're talking about uh, reopening stuff. Um, I think schools are gonna come through in March in England anyway. I think Scotland's gonna do it next week, um, and you know, obviously, there's a lot of talk about that. But all the talk is just gesturing. It's just like we want to do this. I'm like, well, I don't care what you want to do. I want to I want to do stuff as well, but I'm not talking about it. You know what I mean? Just just like give me dates and that's it. Like keep it moving. You know what I mean? It's, it's pointless anyway talking about that. Uh, <laughs> this one's great. Donald Glover and Phoebe Waller Bridge are executive producing and co-starring in a Mr. and Mrs. Smith reboot. <sighs> I, I don't know about you guys. That, that don't sound too. Uh, <laughs> uh, the vibes don't sound too uh, too good for me on that one. <laughs> I'm not really sure if I want to see uh, 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 Donald Glover and Duffy Waller Bridge doing that. I don't know. I just, it just don't come off. Uh, uh, and I ain't gonna. Come, I don't think that's gonna come off as uh, as the vibe we we are all looking for on that front. Um, I don't know. Feels like a failure to launch on that one. Um, COVID nineteen cases, deaths, and hospital visits are going da- back down in the UK. Trump is acquitted in his second Senate impeachment trial. The funniest thing about that, right? Um, apart from people, uh, apart from the 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 term Teflon Don uh, <laughs> trending on Twitter uh, straight after, which is great to be honest and pretty much on point, uh, is is the fact that uh, Republicans uh, were talking about like basically shitting on Trump minutes, hours, days after quitting him. Like y- you can't do that. Like that's not how. What? <laughs> I, I I shoot someone. Right? <laughs> no, 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 no. Someone shoots me, and then I say these people, this fucker should go, this fucker should go jail. And then if I'm on the, and then I'm on the jury, and then I say not guilty, and then I continue shitting on him. That's basically what's happening right there. Doesn't make sense. Um, and the case, uh, the rate of new, um, co- this is great. The rate of new COVID nineteen cases in reported in India has fallen by ninety percent since mid mid September. How the hell has that happened? Like, how how in hell has that happened? Are some people saying like there's a herd immunity going uh, tip going on? Uh, maybe unreported cases, a lot of unreported cases. Uh, you know, there's a myriad of reasons, a myriad of possible reasons, but it's just so weird to me. Like, what's the, what's the population over there? Like one point seven billion, and obviously have uh, the farmers' protest going on still still going on after a few months now. Like, huh? How the hell has that happened? Uh, it, it boggles the mind. It really does boggle the mind. I saw that on Channel 4 News the other day. I was like, raw. Anyway, what we're talking about today. All right, let's start with uh, let's start with this. Uh, <laughs> all right, I wanted to talk about this Gorilla Goose saga, but not in terms of just like the actual saga itself, because obviously you guys can look that stuff up and watch the videos if you wanna. Um, of uh, Tesca Brown, I think is her name. And obviously, the the whole saga's come and gone. Uh, she had um, a procedure done uh, for free, I might add, and that's good of the uh, the person, I guess, the surgeon who did it. Um, yeah, Tesca Brown, and um, yeah. But I wanted to talk about this uh, particular article that I found afterwards 
um, after it was all sorted. Um, it's called The Gorilla Glue Saga, Laid Edges, and the Trauma of Black Beauty Standards. This is by Nicole Phillip and Jamel Pridgen. Um, this is via LX.com. Uh, it's an NBC affiliate. I'm not sure whether LX is about, but yeah. Um, and yeah, it's, it's kind of um, talking about, you know, obviously, uh, well, we'll get into the article itself. But I actually asked a friend, shout out to Caroline, I was, uh, I was, I was asking her about, you know, is this particular thing, uh, could it happen to anyone? You know what I mean? And what she taught me was that, um, you know, there are things labelled as glue, right? Um, like hair glue, but it's not actually glue in, you know, the like PVC glue or Gorilla Glue, like sticking shit. It's more like a gel that's just like, you know, just really sticky. Um, and obviously you lay the edges down, all that kind of stuff, you know what I mean? Uh, wig tings, you know what I mean? Um, but yeah, she, she, was t- she was telling me about it and I was just like, because I wanted to know, because obviously the rhetoric going on in terms of you know roasting roasting about the whole subject is that you know oh, she's being a dumbass and stuff like this and i was like and i didn't really know because obviously i don't use <laughs> hair glue <laughs> to lay my edges um but yeah i was just completely uneducated in subjects so i wanted to know whether it was like you know a common well not a common practice cause obviously people would be talking about it every every freaking week um but i just wanted to know how often it happens, um, but uh, or or if it, if it could happen to anyone, that's uh, that's what I was getting. At. But anyway, I just wanted to learn about that kind of stuff, and I wanted to learn it again uh, a little bit more. Uh, but this one's a good this one's a good piece, just talking about general, um, you know, what women have to do uh, to achieve the uh, uh, this arbitrary level of black beauty standards. So anyway, let's just get into it. Uh, is your look even complete if your edges aren't laid? One woman seemed to think uh, not before she attempted to unconventionally give her hair a smooth, slick finish with a hardware store Gorilla Glue after running out of uh, her go-to gel. Quote-unquote, bad, bad idea. Uh, Louisiana native Tesco Brown went viral last week after posting a video on TikTok showing her rock-solid hair clinging to her scalp despite numerous attempts at washing the industrial strength glue from her hair. Quote, my hair's been like this for about a month now. Brown said while showing off her new hard and braided ponytail in a video that has seen that has been seen more than 25 million times. But the now viral story is part of a bigger picture. Black female beauty standards are the societal pressure to accept that beauty is pain. When attorney turned physician Alana Nichols uh, learned why hashtag Gorilla Glue was trending on social media, it evoked a sense of familiarity, quote, I'm not about to call this girl stupid when my normal Sunday routine involved sitting in a kitchen doorway while my granny applied grease to my edges and then ran an iron comb, iron in caps, uh, through my hair after heating it on the stove, unquote, Nichols said in a tweet that, her, that set her mentions on fire. From relaxes to braids and even weave sew-ins, pain is relatively common when it comes to styling black hair, quote, I know that we are willing to have a headache for a day to get our hair done right, Nichols said while thinking back on getting her first sewing. My friends told me you need to take Advil and ibuprofen uh, b- beforehand, especially because you're tender-headed and your head's probably uh, still probably going to hurt after, unquote. For a group that deals with the pressures of racism, sexism, classism, and heterosexism, uh, beauty standards in the community are deeply rooted in depression in the past and present. Never being able to come close to the Eurocentric ideals of beauty, including white skin, straight hair, and slim features, black aesthetics are constantly undervalued. 
Even in online dating, the black community faces racial discrimination and black women were rated quote-unquote less attractive than women of other races in an OkCupid study from 2014. Um, there's actually a film called No Shave, um, directed by and I think written and directed by Kang and Claire and Yamasigwe. Go give that a watch. I think that's a really good watch um, in terms of just like uh, talking about beauty standards and also colorism as well. Um, it's a really good, uh, really good case study and uh, film sense. Uh, beauty standards on uh, of the black community are not only scrutinized in online dating but also in the workplace. A recent study show, uh, revealed that black women who rock uh, natural styles are often seen as being less professional, less competent, and more likely to experience bias in job recruitment. Uh, okay. Jeez. Uh, ultimately, black women are forced to choose between their pro- either protecting their te- the texture of their God-given uh, coils or straining their hair to escape natural hair biases. The Michigan State and Duke University study concluded this decision that Nichols knows all too well. Quote, I went back and forth about whether or not I would be, would be accepted with natural hair versus straight hair, Nichols said while recalling a decision that had to be made for a headshot at work. Nichols told herself, uh, said she told herself, quote, this is a profession that you're trying to get into and the majority of people who are uh, looking at this application do, don't look like you. You need to straighten your hair. And so I did, unquote. So has the black community fought back? Simply put, yes, the Crowd Act, which stands for creating a respectful and open world for natural hair, uh, was created by a group of organizations dedicated to fighting discrimination in the United States. The US House passed legislation last September, making it illegal to discriminate against natural hair textures and styles in employment and education. Some in the black community have offered a complete rebuke of Eurocentric beauty standards through moments like the Black is Beautiful or natural hair movements and others attempt to combat the issue through uh, thorough upkeep of their appearance. This is why black hair care is a billion dollar industry, 2.5 billion to be exact. This speaks to the pressure to prove that black hair is good hair. From childhood, black people are taught that they have to be twice as good to have half of what they have. And this extends to appearance. There's undue burden to prove oneself. This is likely why Miss Brown needed to make sure that there was... Literally not a single hair out of place. Uh, in the black community, there's a saying that one must never go outside looking raggedy. So what kind uh, quote? So what kind of runs? Uh, yeah. So what kind of runs through my mind is she ran out of her glue? It's a weirdly wordy sense. Uh, Nichols said as she imagined uh, the events of that brown sticky situation. Ha, <laughs> sticky. Uh, she was like, okay, maybe I'm not going to leave the house with my hair looking like this. I got you something. Unquote. With her got to be glue, gel, bottle empty, there was little she could do if she planned to leave her home ready to face the stereotypes and discrimination she would already encounter because of the colour of her skin. So in Brown's mind, she did what she had to do. Alright, that's pretty much it. That's her entirety. Um, yeah, that's kind of... Um, I feel like this is always something that neat, that is... Uh, um, you know, rarely forgotten about, uh, well, always forgotten about in terms of the conversations like this, thinking about, uh, you know, what pressures are there and how ingrained they are. Like, having your uh, hair, you know, forcefully in some ways straightened as a kid, you know, that can obviously just 
plant some roots down for you and you stick with you know there's, there's plenty of there's actually a few films that have talked of like you know commented on this kind of thing you know i mentioned no shade in some ways it does that um especially in the dating world um uh napoli ever after with uh sonar lathan that's another one uh, that comes to mind you know there's a few there's a few texts like these and i'm sure there's books and tv shows as well about it um but it is something that is always, I think, forgotten about, especially in a conversation such as this, where, you know, obviously it's very, it was memed heavy, and you know, people were roasting, um, and it was, it was a constant, um, it was a daily thing. Like, what, what happened? What's happened to Gorilla Glue Girl? You know what I mean? And you, you try and get that daily update. Um, that's what. That's basically what happened in the past uh, week or so. Um, and obviously, now that the saga's, you know, ended, um, I feel like it is worth, and the uh, reason why I've done this segment in particular, I think it's worth, you know, talking about um, the hidden uh, the hidden pressures behind all this. And, you know, while it can be chalked up as just a moment of um, uh, either stupidity or just um, lack of looking at a bottle, um, there's a reason why, you know, she felt pressure to just, like... I need to do. I need to do my hair right now. It needs to be done. You know, what I mean, you can't. You did all of it, and then you can't just leave it like that. You have to, like, yeah, you have to. I, I, I don't know. You had, you had to get had to get the job done, and uh, you know, obviously, um, you know, there's, there's the common sense of like, you know, read the bottle or stuff like that, um, or I don't know, go to the shop. I don't know if there was a local shop around, but you know, whatever depends what day at time it was. But, you know, regardless of all those, there is still that hidden pressure that a lot of black women face. Not just the US, but, you know, the UK and uh, plenty of other places, uh, especially in Europe and um, uh, the North Americas. Um, and I'm sure in uh, South Americas as well. I'm sure I'm sure the uh, I'm sure white gaze is, um, you know, everywhere. Um, you can link this to also uh, uh, Indian well, not Indian, but just a. Uh, um, South Asian uh, skin bleaching, which is another billion-dollar industry, um, and maybe that maybe it happens in Africa as well. Who knows? Um, so yeah, um, shout out to Tesca Brown. Obviously, it's um, all sorted now. But uh, you know, word to the black women and just um, the absolute crazy pressures that they have to go through um, just to get their hair done. I mean, I'm wearing an afro right now, and I have been for the past uh, few months. Um, but you know, still keeping on. So you know. I don't know if the pressures are there for me. Who knows? Maybe if I don't get a fucking job, uh, maybe there'll be something in that. But um, obviously I can't, uh, you know, say that they didn't hire me because my hair was afro. So, yeah, anyway, shout out to the black women, always and forever. So we move on to the first of two music uh, segments in this episode, and we are talking about the exit and music. Uh, well, obviously because of music, because <laughs> music segment, but you know what I mean. Um, so this is by uh, Joseph Middleton. This is via the Guardian. Uh, Joseph Middleton is a pianist, a fellow of and professor at the Royal Academy of Music, uh, director of Leeds Leader, I think L I E D R Leader, and a red- resident musician at Pembroke College. Uh, Cambridge um, so yeah a lot of hats to wear um, so clearly a little bit of education on that front and uh, clearly he's uh, aware of all the situations and there was also um, a few other 
articles peppered here and there I've seen um, about just uh, the government and funding the arts. And obviously we've talked about it on this show in a myriad of ways in the past few weeks, uh, well, the past couple of months. Uh, but this is just an interesting uh, uh, way of looking at things, I guess. Uh, it's just a new angle, I guess. And uh, uh, obviously there's always things changing, so uh, it's worth uh, keeping a note on, especially if I'm talking about, you know, film and TV and music every, well, nearly every episode on what's good. So obviously it has to be done. But anyway, let's just jump right into the article. Uh, and there it was, an email from my agent, the first post-exit correspondence relating to work in Spain, explaining that a recital for which I signed a contract two years ago would now cost me £600 in visa-related bills, even though I would only spend 24 hours there. My agent would be required to work on a raft of extra paperwork, my accountant to furnish me with documents of uh, giving proof of income, and my bank would need to provide me with the recent certified bank statements. No pesky home printouts here, thank you. My passport would need to be submitted to the Spanish embassy and held there until the visa was processed, causing problems for when I had to travel uh, for when I had to travel for other work. Apparently, the normal visa would cost uh, cost would be nearer um, 150 pounds. With the embassy current open currently open one day a week, the promoter had told my agent the only option would have uh, would be to pay for the 600 pound fast track one. The concert in Spain, one of the few remaining non-COVID cancellations in my diary, is part of a tour that also takes uh, in recitals in France and Denmark. Pull out of one engagement because the numbers don't stack up and risk losing the work in other countries as well. Too many visas, even at 150 each, and that figure obviously doesn't include the cost of travel to the embassies, the lost work time, or the extra cost to agents and accountants. Really important note there. Um, And it's clear that your livelihood is going to take a nosedive. The exit means that musicians now need to apply for a short-term work permit before travelling to work in a number of EU countries, each with their own different requirements. If it wasn't for COVID-related cancellations, the first few months of this year should have uh, seen me perform in uh, Barcelona, Hamburg, France, Lisbon, Antwerp, Dortmund, Stockholm, Vienna and Luxembourg. Uh, Or is it Luxembourg? Uh, I know there's a U in there. I keep saying Luxembourg, but it should be Luxembourg. I'm not sure the correct pronunciation. Anyway, between each of those short uh, short visits, I was under contract for recordings in the UK and performances at the Barbican, Wigmore Hall and in Leeds. Uh, This was a regular pattern of work, but with current arrangements post-COVID, this kind of schedule will simply or prove simply impossible. COVID cancellations are covering up the true horror of uh, post-exit travel for musicians. Looking through my diary, I simply would not have been able to submit my passport to the relevant embassies and fulfil contracts elsewhere. Some visas take up to three months to be approved, which means the old days of quote-unquote jumping in, uh, that is when we get a last-minute phone call from a colleague or our agent asking us to replace an indisposed artist, seem well and truly over. Last year I had a phone call at 9am about a concert in Amsterdam for which the advertised artist had fallen ill. I was asked if I was free and knew the repertoire, and was on a plane shortly after, given the recital that night. These opportunities often give artists their first big breaks. Uh, UK-based young artists, young musicians, will never get out of the starting blocks. I think that's a very important uh, paragraph, to be completely honest, but I'll, get, I'll, I'll put a pin in that. Uh, COVID is exacerbating the is- issues. I nearly said issues very posh issues, uh, naturally, and uh, it's been well documented that our industry hit the buffers overnight back in March 2020. But once the dark winter of COVID had passed, uh, and we are back to uh, some semblance of normality, or normality, sorry, uh, with regards to live music making, 
We face a stark reality that the UK, through its own actions, will fulfil the German uh, author Oskar Schmitz's uh, 1914 snub, the We Are Das Land Own Music, O-H-N-E, On, the land without music in English. Uh, while Schmitz's uh, insult would, should have really been dubbed the land without composers, um, and I don't agree with him anyway. Uh, we have a rich history of music. The UK does seem to have a problematic relationship with culture and the arts. No shit, fucking... <laughs> can say that again. Uh, it is mind-boggling to learn that there are no provisions in the... Uh, <laughs> and he said it in the exit deal that account for the nature of UK musicians' short-term work. Our industry com- uh, contributes £5.8 billion to the UK economy and is part of a wider £111 billion uh, creative industry. The government provided uh, repeated assurances to the music sector throughout 2020. Questions raised in Parliament on 3rd of June, 22nd of June, 10th of September, 21st of October, 16th of November, and 22nd of December. That's some great noting. Big up, big up for that. Like Great noting. There's, there's links on there as well if you want to go peep. Um, they understood the need for frictionless travel after the exit and that they would be negotiating an ambitious agreement to achieve this objective with the EU. The people who will suffer the most are the next generation, and we should be doing everything to enrich their lives and to support them. Without them, we have no future practitioners or audiences, and yet, instead of finding a positive way forward, the rhetoric has turned into a blame game, uh, turned to a blame game. We are told it's all the EU's fault we are in this position. The musical community is a wonderfully rich tapestry, different disciplines feeding into one another, but it's a delicate ecosystem. In the first weeks of this year, two big hitters announced that they are to leave prestigious UK posts. Sir Simon Rattle from the London Symphony Orchestra and Murga... Oh, what is that name? Sorry, that's, that's a mad name. Murga Grazinti? Grazinti? There's an I-N-Y-T-E, so it's throwing me off. Grazinti uh, Tyler from the City of Birmingham Symphony Orchestra. Both cite personal reasons, though you have to wonder about the timing. Internationally acclaimed UK-born singers, I know, are relocated to Vienna, Music and Brussels. Once we see this trickling down, world-renowned performers who also share their skills via guest teaching positions on the rosters of our conservatories and universities will seek a surer footing abroad, and we diminish the standard and breadth of uh, training offered to the next generation of teachers who in, who in turn inspire and ignite a passion for the arts in our children. It's easy to see how quickly the house of cars topples. I work part-time as a director at Leeds Leader, or Lider, um, a charity that promotes classical song in the north of England. I have a nagging feeling as someone who benefited from a comprehensive school education that furnished me with free or hugely subsidised music lessons that we are already giving our own children much less than my own generation enjoyed at Leeds Leader. Uh, we fund. I'm just gonna say lead from now on, um, or LL. Uh, we fundraise hard to deliver outstanding song and vocal provision to children all over Yorkshire to fill the gaps left by years of education cuts. I've seen children make enormous strides uh, forward in social, linguistic, creative, and intellectual spheres. Our education leaders, such as those in this video, there's a there's a uh, video embedded if you want. If you guys want to go peep, um, such as those in the video. Uh, have years have had years of study and international exchange with musicians from Europe who come from here to teach, and we are and we have enjoyed the fruitful collaboration of reciprocal work in the EU countries. The music we teach knows no boundaries, but the language, flavour, and age of each corner of the repertoire remains joyfully idiosyncratic. Music is one of the true miracles of human endeavour. The intellectual re- intellectual 
intellectual rigor, uh, the creativity, the empathy it demands of us can help us understand humanity. One of the greatest joys is the exchange of ideas with others from different backgrounds and diverse cultures. Take away the ability to move freely as a musician and up goes a barrier. Composers, performers and audiences will suffer. Please DCMS, uh, work for us to... Uh, work for us to negotiate what was promised so that we can thrive, keep music alive, and pass this most precious gift on to the next generation. Let the UK be a touchstone for vibrant, exciting, diverse, forward-thinking music-making. Um, and yeah, this is um, outstanding, to be completely honest. And um, and I'm not one of these people that are into, you know, um, uh, in this kind of world of, uh, you know, um, classical music and orchestral music. But I do understand, but it's it's so, the reason why this is so well written for me is because it comes from a place that you can easily understand, like, how this works. Because that paragraph I wanted to put a pin in, uh, if I can find it right quick, I'm talking about, um, uh, uh, here we go, a phone call, 9am, about a concert in Amsterdam, uh, so advertised eyes for fell ill, free, new repertoire, on a plane shortly after. That That is, like, so essential excuse me, to a lot of people, like, you can, you, you could be just sitting there, big chilling, and you could just get a call, and j- just from a, j- I, I could easily talk about this from, like, a life um, experience perspective, like, imagine that, right, you're just chilling, and then the next day, you're in Amsterdam, you're in this amazing music hall, and you're just blasting out your tunes, your orchestral tunes, you know, you're doing what you love, that is just an outstanding thought to me, like to just be called up like so instantly and you just jet off to somewhere it's completely different it's just amazing to think about and you can't do that anymore you simply can't do that anymore it's impossible to do that like the economics of this are obviously just um silly but just from a stunting growth standpoint like it doesn't it's just going to kill a lot of careers here it's going to kill a lot um, like we we can talk about it from like a uh, and he does talk about it you know from a public sense um, from a public art sense you know talking about um, giving kids um, subsidized education on classical music and anything to be completely honest with you um, and that's all well and good but um, it doesn't it's, it's no point if you can't you know spread your wings and um, network and go to places uh that will give you more opportunities and you'll be part of names and you'll make someone's night to go to an orchestral play, uh, go to see an orchestra and you're part of the, I don't know, you're part of this 60-piece band, you know what I mean? You're just blasting out your tunes. And all of that is gone. Like, we can all do this in the UK, right? But it doesn't make, that doesn't, that doesn't fulfil that doesn't fulfill economically, and uh, and it's just it's not gonna it's not gonna feel the same. And you can and you know I've talked about this in terms of uh, uh you know music artists um you know go to like touring. I think that's a, a much more accessible way to look at things. But I feel like this is a very interesting, different scope to look at things and to look at er- how everything's going. And it kind of makes me even more sad thinking about it because, um, you know, I'm not an orchestra person. I've never... Have I been to an orchestra? Um, 
not a proper one. Um, but yeah, you know. But it's good to have that. It's good to have that. Um, the diversity of arts. Hundred eleven billion pound creative industry, and a lot of it is going down the toilet. You know, I was talking about it last week. You know, with um, and this is something I didn't mention last week, but um, uh, talking about uh. You know, streaming streaming platforms and uh, private uh, TV uh, channels and uh, production companies, uh, you know, they're gonna bump up their production rates and you know try and fulfill the street and you know try and get in these streaming wars, right? And that's all well and good, but what about the public ones? What about the public theaters and the public, uh, you know, music teachings? Like, this is where this is where the John Boyegas and you know, <laughs> and everybody else, music-wise, um, the Emily Sandays or whatever, right? This is where they cut their teeth. They don't just pop up out of nowhere. And you know, obviously, that's a little bit easier from a music standpoint. But you know, if you if you're an instrumentalist, then what? You know, you ain't gonna pop off on SoundCloud, are you? You know what I mean? So, in, in the, this shit needs to change, and it really needs to change fast. Because if this goes on even a year longer it will stunt a lot of people and it'll stunt a lot of the new generation and will you know just kill our culture that we have in the uk um from an arts perspective and that'll just be great i'll just be super super great to our sports segment and this is all about uh, social media, racist abuse and uh, specifically Marcus Rashford but you can just link this to uh, plenty of other footballers. Um, I know like uh, people like Reese James have talked about it, uh, there's, there's obviously Raheem you know <laughs> but it's silly, it's, 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 it's silly and uh, it's good that footballers are just um, speaking out constantly about this. I think actually there was a story about um, Ian Wright who um, I don't. I don't know if he like sued a dude, um, and he got off on it. Uh, he got off of it. Um, I forget the particular stories, but um, uh, I could have easily talked about that one and just uh, how bullshit that one was. Uh, but yeah, this is just um, this is just a lot. Uh, but yeah, this is called. Uh, this is from Sky News. This is uh, Marcus Rashford says people behind racist abuse should have this have social media accounts deleted immediately. And um, I, but I don't see why not. I truly do not see why not. You know, if you if we're doing this, um, you know, uh, I feel I, I just I just honestly feel like this is a non this is a easy start. This is easy, easy win, easy dub. Just just as soon as you clock that racial abuse, like report it to someone and cut them the fuck off. You claim to love football and you're and you're racially abusing players. No, get cut off. Boom, Twitter off. You're gone. Your Twitter your Twitter's gone, bro. You know what I mean? It's, it's, I think that's just how how it should go. And if they don't understand it, then pff, what, what, uh, anyway, let's just get into the article itself. It's a, it's a relatively quick one, so let's just uh, jump right in. Uh, uh, da, da, da. The England forward, uh, well, Manchester United player uh, Marcus Rashford has urged social media uh, companies to take stronger action to stop racist abuse, telling them to immediately delete the accounts of those responsible. The England forward was subjected to online racism following United's 0-0 draw Arsenal fortnight ago. Con- comments he described as, quote, 
humanity and social media as worse, unquote. And that came amid widespread racist abuse for several high-profile players, both in the men's and women's game. The Premier League, FA, EFL, WSL, Women's Championship, PFA, LMA, PGMOL, don't know what it is, and Kick It Out all have all co-signed an open letter to Twitter CEO Jack Dorsey and Facebook founder chairman and CEO Mark Zuckerberg, demanding immediate action earlier this week. Facebook-owned Instagram announced new measures, including the removal of accounts to prevent abusive messages on its platform, while Twitter vowed to work closely with the football community to tackle the problem. But many have criticised the firms over the length of time it takes for them to act. When racist abuse is posted, and Rashford, Rashford suggested deleting accounts should be a more straightforward protest. Quote, online abuse, it should be, it, it should be easy to, just, uh, to stop just deactivating the accounts, he told Sky Sports News. We know that it's very easy to make four or five accounts, but if you have to block them all, then block them all. That's on the social media companies themselves. If they see anyone being abusive in any way, their account should be deleted immediately. That's how you deal with it. Uh, let me get these quotes. So I wanted to say something there, but I'll put a pin in it. Uh, I feel like it doesn't affect me as much as other people because I'm not affected actively on social media. So half the stuff that goes on there, what people are saying about me and other people, I'm not really on top of it or top of and I don't see it. Uh, but it's a place people should enjoy. 10 or 15 years ago, it wasn't there and we're lucky to have it. To be able to connect with people all over the world and from different cultures and religions. Uh, for it to be used in negative light is stupid and hopefully they can sort out the issue and it can be a place of good. Two pins I want to put in now. Fucking hell, he's spitting some bars. Uh, Rashford's Old Trafford teammate Axel <coughs> uh, Tuanzebe uh, was racially abused uh, online following two games in recent weeks and the England forward said he had spoken to the defender. Quote, I spoke to Axel when it happened to him and the way that you deal with it, the way that you move on, that's how you have to show, that's how you have to show strength and that you're mentally capable to deal with those things, even though you shouldn't have to, Rashford said. Axel was a tough lad. It's not nice to hear those things, but he's bounced back. He's always happy and smiling and works hard. A Facebook spokesperson said, quote, We don't want hate and racism on Facebook and Instagram. Okay. When we find content that breaks our rules, we remove it. And we deactivate accounts to continue to break our rules. This week, we announced tougher action of people breaking our rules in Instagram DMs, and we also deactivate accounts created restrictions. Unquote. Sure. Okay, well, I'll believe that when I see it. Uh, but yeah, these are these two pins I want to get into, right? So this, he's passed some bars on these, uh, on these two, right? So, um, so he mentioned, yeah, we know that it's very easy to make four or five accounts block them all, right? How, how crazy is it? That some people, I'm not saying they all do this, you know what I mean? But it's crazy to think about, right? That people create several accounts and still continue with the racist abuse. Like, do you not get through your head what you're, what you, what you're being cut off with, uh, cut off for? Like, you're being a dickhead on social media. You're being a racist dickhead on social media. And you're wondering why you have to create an account every fucking week. Like, take the fucking hint. Like what is your problem? You have to be told five times. Like your 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 parents must have beaten the shit out of you back in the day. If 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 you didn't like listen to something five fucking times, like fucking listen. Like what? Why do you, why do you think it is? Like oh, you just don't want to sort yourself out. All right, cool. Well, fuck off social media then. Like keep going, go for it. And then um, uh, ten or fifteen years ago, it wasn't there, and we're lucky to have it. It's a privilege, ladies and gentlemen. That's what we all need to recognise when it comes to this, you know, quite free speech, right? This this isn't a free speech issue. 
it's a privilege issue. It's it's fucking. I keep trying to say issue, but well, I say issue uh, regularly. But for some reason, my mouth just wants to say issue issue for for no reason. I don't know why I'm doing that. Um, but yeah, it's a privilege, ladies and gentlemen. It is a supreme privilege. Okay, you need to recognise that it is always has always is and always has been a privilege to be on social media. Okay, so if you want to chat shit on said social media, then you can get fucked. Simple as. That's all it is. Job done. Any questions? No? Good. Boom. It's so simple. I, d- I just don't find, I just don't understand why Pete, why social media companies are making this shit so hard and just cut these fuckers off. It's the same like last year when I was talking about uh, uh, racism uh, when they're at games. Uh, remember that uh, England Montenegro game like way back, and I was like, simple simple rule, no fans. <laughs> and if they and, and if they and, uh, actually if they keep if they I won't say no fans right. So if they if they do it, ban the team from 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 any competition. If they, if it continues, ban them from several competitions. Make it so the bodies of that of that country's football association or whatever. Right, have to fucking deal with the problem. Make them deal with the problem. Stop enabling these fuckers. Simple as it's not hard, ladies and gentlemen. It really is not hard. Cut these fuckers off, and if they keep coming, keep cutting them off. It is simple as that. Dunsky, finito, done. hop into our second uh, music topic and final topic of the episode and this is all about 2016 and uh, protest music in some ways Um, so this is by uh, Marcus J Moore who wrote a brilliant book about uh, Kendrick Lamar Uh, uh, I forgot forgot the name of the freaking book now Uh, I'm gonna look it up right quick but yes it's a really good book especially if you don't know anything about Kendrick Lamar and why he's so uh, you know obviously just a the goat, right? Um, yeah, if you if you really want to know on that fashion, uh, <coughs> it's called the butterfly effect. Go peep that book; it, it slaps. Um, and uh, yeah, but he wrote this one uh, via Time. It's called How Black Music Artists Revolutionized the Sound of Protest in 2016. And I found it just a really fascinating article. Uh, I found it a really uh, decent read, and uh, you know, always brings me back to uh, 2016 and just how fucking great the music around that time really was. Um, especially looking back here now. So let's jump right in. Uh, America was in peril in 2016. Unarmed black people were being killed by police in an alarming clip. And Donald, Trey Trump, uh, Donald J. Trump's uh, presidential campaign revealed stark ideological uh, divides. None of this was new. Law enforcement officers have always harassed uh, minorities. And US citizens have long been split along racial lines, uh, racial and political lines. But not since the late 1960s had the tension been so palpable. Between social media and the 24-hour TV news cycle, viewers could see bullets penetrate black skin on a continuous loop or watch anti-police protests unfold in cities like Atlanta, Los Angeles and New York. The music responded in kind, from Solange and Beyonce to Frank Ocean. Black eyes were using their work to address the cultural landscape. And as the world grew louder, the music took on a more meditative tone. 
But this wasn't a protest in the traditional sense. While ten pulse songs like Marvin Gaye's What's Going On and James Brown's Say It Loud and Black and I'm Proud set the template for black protest music, this new generation sought to redefine what protest could entail. In 2016, dissent could be outward-looking and personal. To sing about marital strife, the journey of motherhood, and one's upbringing was also revolutionary. The music, this music was fearless. In a society that constantly denies black humanity, these artists reclaiming their stories for themselves and the community as a whole. These artists were reclaiming, sorry. Uh, though the pinnacle of this renaissance occurred in 2016, its beginnings go back to December 2014 and a trio of politically charged albums that shifted the tenor of black music. The first was the release of Black Messiah, the third studio album from R&B singer D'Angelo, on which he discussed war, the emotional toll of racism and the global ramifications of climate change. It was his most political album yet, even as several songs, Really Love, The Door and Another Life, recalled the sweet soul of his previous LPs. Three months later, lyricist Kendrick Lamar released a Pippa Butterfly, an avant-rap opus with traces of jazz, funk, and spoken word poetry that unpacked the trappings of fame along with his own depression and survivor's guilt. On the album's second single, The Black of Berry, uh, Lamar delved into the rage he felt in 2012 when he saw the news of Trayvon Martin's death in Sanford, Florida. The record's fourth single, All Right, with its uplifting chorus and optimistic rhymes, sought to assuage, 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 so how do you, I know, I've seen that word before, and I, know, I feel like I know how to say it, but let me just, uh, <laughs> let me just uh, dictionary, that, uh, dictionary that thing right quick. Um, let's, let's get a word on that. Assuage. assuage, that's the word, that's how you say it, assuage. Uh, no, I'd say it. Uh, assuage those hit hardest by systemic oppression. It became a, a breakthrough uh, hit and the unofficial anthem of the Black Lives Matter movement. The following May, Lamar's collaborator, Kamasi Washington, put out his own statement, The Epic, a whopping nearly three-hour jazz album at a time when the mainstream marketplace wasn't interested in the genre. Still, his record, an ambitious mix of gospel, big band, and 70s fusion, spoke to the healing that needed to happen. The compositions Ask Him, The Rhythm Changes, and Malcolm's Theme evoke the calm and fire of, uh, evoke the calm and fire of civil rights-era protest anthems, with these divergent projects, D'Angelo, Lamar, and Washington uh, tapped into a myriad of emotion, emotions, the prevalent hurt, joy, anger, and sorrow coursing through the black community and forged a path for their peers to follow. The year 2016 wasn't just about big names making their most resident work. It saw the rise of new voice coming into the fore. Anderson Pack, an Oxnard, California-born singer, rapper, and drummer, uh, released two contrasting albums, Malibu, his critically acclaimed solo LP in January, and Yes Lord, a 70s soul-leaning record as one half of No Worries with producer Knowledge in October. Uh, Pac, was, uh, Pac was 2016 breakout star, uh, a charismatic performer who looked like a Venice, a Venice beach skater and had the old spirit and voice of a Memphis soul crooner. These weren't by de- definition political albums. And they represented two sides of his persona, the child of a farmer and mechanic with a strong will to succeed, and the budding celebrity with a penchant for slick talk. At a time when black music was rightfully moody, Pac committing to tell his own story was its own form of protest. He was betting on himself and the bliss exuded through his work. The same went for Rihanna and Beyonce, two of the world's biggest pop stars whose respective albums were equally rooted in dissent and introspection. A mix of pop, hip-hop, and dancehall, Rihanna's anti uh, was a pensive and methodical work that confused long-time listeners who'd gotten used to her up-tempo island-themed tracks. This, her eighth album, 
she le- seemed less inclined to release another Rihanna record uh, through tracks like Love on the Brain and Higher. She prioritised her... <sighs> Is it Timber? Is it Timber? I, I, I feel like th- I feel like it's not, but I've, I want to just... I just want to... Timber. Timber, that's it. I knew, I knew it wasn't... I knew I knew it wasn't I knew it wasn't a <laughs> timber <laughs> timber. Right, we're learning today, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, where where was I? Timber, timber, timber. Oh uh, yeah, a bravado rich tone with a lower register over danceable cuts made just for the top forty radio. Beyonce was Beyonce, one of the most famous people on the planet and queen of the surprise release. For her sixth studio album, Lemonade, she got more personal than usual, expressing candidly the then-rumoured and since-confirmed infidelity of her husband Jay-Z over an assortment of rock, R&B and electronic soul. It was a brazen tour de force and stark thematic shift from her stellar pop anthems that skewed somewhat safe. But with takeaways like You Ain't Married uh, to No Average Bitch Boy from Don't Hurt Yourself and He Better Call Becky with the Good Hair from Sorry. Uh, Lemonade thrived as a heartbreak album with political inflections. Freedom featuring Lamar uh, declared a new dawning for the singer. It wasn't so much of it as an activist hymn, but an inward-looking refle- infle- inward reflection, much like Lamar's All Right, uh, that connected with the public at large. Perhaps no album uh, that, did, uh, did more, um, that did more than Frank Ocean's uh, Blonde. The down-tempo follow-up to 2012's Channel Orange it was per- partially inspired by a picture Ocean found in 2014 of a young girl with her hands covering her face. Uh, a seatbelt reached across her torso, riding up her neck, and a mop of blonde hair behind her ears, he wrote on Tumblr. Taking visual and sonic cues from this image, Blonde simulated the feeling of cruising in a car, the sun nearly set, uh, sun nearly set as wind drifts through the open windows. Through open windows. Uh, there was a stillness to the album. Unlike Orange, which had a bigger sound with more pronounced drums, Blonde was quieter, uh, yet no less socially active. Pour up for ASAP, Yams. Uh, R.I.P. Pimp C, he sang on Nikes, honouring <coughs> uh, the two fallen hip-hop artists. R.I.P. Trayvon, that nigga looked just like me. Uh, all of these albums arose as black Americans still struggled to reconcile the senseless deaths of Eric Garner, Sandra Bland, Tamir Rice, Mike Brown and Freddie Gray. And in the summer of 2016, we had two more souls to mourn, Alton Sterling and Philando's Castile. Black people were rightfully furious. So when Beyoncé's sister, the equally powerful yet more reserved Solange, uh, doubled down on this notion for a remarkable third year album, A Seat at the Table, it soothed like balm to raw skin. Seat was a, was an expansive mix of scant soul, a forest bias record with the beauty of black womanhood squarely at the centre. Cranes in the Sky, among other things, was about a personal transition into motherhood. Don't touch my hair, wag the finger at white gaze, at the white gaze. The the idea that curious uh, white people can run their fingers through a black woman's mane because uh, because it's exotic, quote-unquote, or quote-unquote foreign. Uh, A seat at the table arrived just over a month before Trump's stunning presidential win, and while some couldn't predict the dark days ahead, no one could envision the endless lowlights that would that would classify his term. Now there is a perception that the sen- that a sense of calm has returned to the Oval Office, but just last month we witnessed a white supremacist insurrection at the nation's capital, and we're not far removed from the racial reckoning of last summer, seeking justice for George Floyd, for Breonna Taylor, for Ahmaud Arbery, the time the furor, furor, I say furor, uh, in the street uh, made for a timeline of great singles rather than albums, from Pax Lockdown, Banger, to Alicia Keys' Perfect Way to Die, and Salt's Wildfires. 
uh, some of the artists 2016 Re- renaissance has have largely gone silent D'Angelo is in the den again so are Lamar Ocean Rihanna and Solange Beyonce's latest release Black is King was much as a visual work as music as a musical one about the beauty and elegance of African culture time has only heightened the magnitude of the of the work these musicians have produced uh, produced, uh, which showcased the broad spectrum of black culture and black creative freedom. They portrayed our diversity, proving once more that we have rights to the same range of outward expression that others are afforded. The musical renaissance of 2016 wasn't just a moment of black history. It was a sea-changing event for American history overall. There's no telling when these luminaries will return with their latest offerings, or what tone they'll assume, but we can trust that the raw emotion of these five years will make for rich new works and another album i just want to throw out there is uh, uh a tribal quests is uh thank you for uh, thank you for your service um i feel like that's a very um uh i, f- I feel like that fits in the uh, conversation that uh, uh, uh more is having on this uh, particular article um yeah i don't think i i do find this very interesting and um i do love it actually um Obviously, I, I love how um, black artists, um, not just from the US, but from the UK as well, are getting, you know, not, not creative with their how they talk about things. Um, and not just, you know, say it loud and black and I'm proud. Not to diss James Brown. James Brown's the GOAT, right? Um, but obviously that's very in your face, right? But a lot of these things aren't in your face. You know, when you listen to, um, you know, Frank Ocean, uh, Blonde, you don't really get the protestness of it but obviously the thing here is that living your life and being your best self and being your best black self is the protest like being black in general is protest and i think i i, I fully subscribe to that um to that way of thinking um especially when you're doing uh even more so when you're doing works that have no sense of trauma about it or subvert that trauma you know what i mean um when when you just watch something uh, or listen to something and it's just a black artist or black director or black writer or black actor whatever just fucking enjoying it just enjoying the moment of being in that space that in itself is a form of protest, I feel, um, of not looking um, and not and not getting so bogged down in the bullshit um, that you know whiteness as a whole um, pins us down with nearly every day. You know, I feel like it's super important to have these kind of records, um, especially now. Um, I feel like there's always, there's, it's always, it's just going to keep coming. I feel like it's going to uh, become more diverse as well, where it's not just going to be for the, you know, the the greatest of them. Obviously, you know, the Frank Oceans, the Beyonces, and Rihanna's obviously the best, uh, two biggest pop stars in the latter two. Uh, obviously, Frank Ocean, one of the um, premier R&B artists of the past uh, gen- uh, the past decade or so. Uh, obviously, D'Angelo. <laughs> R&B goat, uh, Kendrick rap goat, um, Kamasi Washington jazz goat, um, well, jazz uh, veteran, um, you know, 
it doesn't have <coughs> it doesn't have to be for those people um it can be for just a general person and uh you know i can't wait to see those kind of people um that we've never heard of just producing this just oh super black shit that doesn't try to be you know what i mean it just comes out naturally and uh it's joyful it can be introspective um and comment on things without actually commenting on it you know what i mean not being so in your face with it cuz people cuz trust me white people just close their ears at some of at some of this shit they just close their ears you think you think it you think you can't close your ears white people have done it they've done it they've they've succeeded um I, i've never seen i've never seen anyone do it in the wild but i've heard that i've heard it exists i've heard they actually can physically clasp their ears no nobody's ever seen it on tape it's like bigfoot it's like it's like <laughs> it's, it's like a myth it's like the loch ness monster like just white people closing their ears i feel like it's a it's it's it's, it's, it's an urban legend but I, I i believe it's true and and someday i will see it um but yeah shout out to all the black artists out there um linking obviously um if i want to link back to obviously um the uh the other music article uh talking about um you know giving artists in general opportunities and allowing them to travel um from the uk to europe especially um you know this is all net this is all necessity this is all a necessity and it only helps the overall pool of art um, and the more you have and the more diverse it is the better it will be um, and that's just a fact to me that is just a fact to me and with that said i'll leave it there ladies and gentlemen from the fifth and podcast network i've been charlie terry this has been, been what's good intro music has been too much by vanilla thanks to chill breakers for the bit to use the song you can find both chill breakers and vanilla's uh, sites <coughs> in the links uh, in the description below uh, thanks to nappy hire uh, flashing charismatic which is interlude music for this episode and for the show uh, you can also find his uh, site on the full show notes as well and with that said first episode done on my laptop i can't wait to edit have a good week i should always try and do the same but until the next time take it easy ladies and gentlemen